I am just going to run and jump straight in this morning. It is a privilege always to be able to bring the word of the Lord and to share what God is saying and doing and wants to reveal to us through his word. Now, I'm going to kick off by asking you a question. It's going to pop on the screen. I want you to, uh, um, uh, hopefully it will prompt some memories for you. So do you remember when you were very young being asked uh, this question? What do you want to be when you grow up? Anyone remember that question? Yeah, yeah. So shout out some of the things that you said that you were going to be when you grew up. Sorry? Journal- Footballer. Anything? Journalist. Sorry? A what? Circus performer. Great. I can see that you made that. That's really good. Anyone else? Lawyer. Okay. I, I had one as well. I, I wanted to be Spider-Man. Yeah. That's exactly. I wanted to, to squirt webs from my wrist and... Like go through the air and different buildings. I didn't, that didn't quite work out for me, but that is exactly what I wanted to, I, I really wanted to be. I was into Marvel Comics growing up. I um, spent a lot of my hours in my bedroom just going, going over those and reading Marvel Comics and just fantasizing of wanting to be Spider-Man. It's still my favorite. I'm still waiting on the Lord to give me that answer, but you never know with Jesus. So anyway, so moving on. The, this question, though, of what you want to be when you grow up, it's interesting because in it itself, there is an, it intimates that there is something waiting for us to do with our lives, but when we get older or when we grow up or when we mature, there is a, a point in our lives that, that's a question of what do you want to be is a question that points us in the direction that says there is something waiting for you to do or accomplish with your life, but it's going to be down the road somewhere. It's going to be when you grow up or when you get older. And in our Christian faith, um, we come to realize that, again, the Bible teaches us that when we decide to give our lives to Jesus, we become born again. You've heard that phrase before, I'm sure. The phrase uh, can also be translated being, um, being born from above. And that new birth, being born again, is an act of, God, uh, act of God whereby eternal life is imparted to the person who believes. And in John 1, verses 12 to 13, it indicates that being born again also carries the idea of becoming children of God through trust in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, according to the Bible, being born once makes us children of Adam, and as a result, we share in Adam's corruption. We need a second birth. And, and, uh, and that um, idea also means that being, having a second birth means that we have a spiritual birth to make us children of God. We must be born again. This is what the Bible teaches us. So it's not enough to be born once, because being born once means that we are of the sinful nature of Adam, but we need to be born again. So we go back to the beginning almost in our spiritual journey with God. We become children of God. And so as children of God, there's also just in the natural, there's a growth that needs to happen. In the spiritual, also there's a growth that needs to happen. Amen? So this is um, important for us to understand that being born again just, that just doesn't stop at, at new birth. There's a journey that is made when we give our life to Jesus. It's a start of something new. It isn't the end of something, it is the beginning of something, amen? Is that right? So before we gave our life to Jesus, every one of us here in this room and those who are believers or watching online, we were all spiritually dead according to the word of God, dead in our sins, lost in the darkness, wandering aimlessly through life until Jesus called our name. That was a wonderful day when Jesus called my name, amen? Is there any believers in this house who just love the day that Jesus called you? 
Yeah? So in the Hebrew, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote some Hebrew words and some Greek words in my, in my teaching. Don't worry about those. I may pronounce them correctly. I might pronounce them incorrectly. But it's just to communicate some thoughts that I think would be important for us today. So the word for called in Hebrew is the, is the Hebrew word that literally means to call out to meet. Um, and, and in the New Testament, the Greek word is kletos, a word that means called, invited, welcome, called out, chosen. So the calling of God is an invitation. It's, uh, we heard about that last week from Canon J. John, who spoke to us about the invitation to come to Jesus. You know, and what he was explaining to us very powerfully about what it means to be Christian. And so this called, being called, or, or kletos, focuses on God's general call and his invitation he gives, us, gives to all people so, that all, so we, we all can receive his salvation. God desires every person to call out to him and receive his salvation. Amen? We are all called to the table of God. Today, I'm going to attempt to speak with you from the life of a man, man named Abram, who was called by God to leave behind everyone and everything that he had known all of his life and to follow him. We will discover what it truly means to hear the voice of God, to follow where he leads, and in doing so, come to know and fulfill the purpose for our lives. For those of you who are taking notes, the title of my message today is simply, Be. Easy to remember, okay? B. Now, we're going to read from Genesis. I'm going to base, start here at this point. I'm going to jump up through a number of scriptures, but we're going to begin with Genesis chapter 12 and read a little bit more about this man called Abram. Genesis 12, 1 to 5, this is what it says. It might come on the screen for you. This is what it says, reading from the New International Version. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make you, your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old. When he set out from Haran, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions that he had accumulated, and the people that, were, that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Amen? So Abram um, was the first Jew. He was the founder of, the, of Judaism, the physical and spiritual ancestor of the Jewish people. Abram, it says in, in our text, was about 75 years old when he received the call of God. Speaking of the call of Abraham, Stephen, um, a Christian deacon in Jerusalem, and the first Christian martyr said these words recorded for us in Acts 7, verses 2 to 3. It says, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Iran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. Stephen reveals to us that Abraham's migration was in two phases. First phase from Ur to Haran and from Haran to Canaan. Now, according to Stephen's account in Acts 7, 2 to 3, it was God's word to Abraham that initiated the family's move. So God spoke to Abraham while he was in Ur and said, I need you to come. I need you to follow me. I need you to leave your country and your people and go to land I will show you. And if we were to go on a journey with him um, in a straight line, if he left, left from Ur where he was, to, um, uh, in a straight line, to um, arrive at Haran, it was about 641 miles. So about uh, 1,031 kilometers he journeyed. Yeah, not in a car, not in an Uber, on camelback, yeah? 
um, and walking, they took that journey. So quite a long distance. From, but he was headed to um, Canaan, but arrived in Haran. Yeah? And the scripture says that they set out for Canaan, but when they got to Haran, they settled there. They stopped and settled in Haran. Why? We're not really told why. We don't really know why they did this. But um, we know that Abraham waited until his father Terah died and then began the journey af afresh. So they were headed to um, Canaan, but arrived at Haran and stopped and was in Haran for a minute and stayed there until Abram's father, Terah, died. Now, this um, produces a question for me is, okay, maybe like Abraham, you heard God calling you to follow him, but something caused you to stop short of making that commitment. Maybe you began to follow God, but along the way, life got in the way and you stopped short of being fully committed. You know, God is calling you to something more, perhaps to do more for the kingdom, but you found yourself settling in Iran. Is it perhaps time to renew your obedience and begin the journey of faith again? It wasn't a call to go to Haran. It was a call to go to Canaan. But they ended up in Iran and parked there and settled there. Some of us maybe settled part way for what God has for you. There might be something that God has called you to, you know, a vision, a purpose that God birthed in your spirit, in your heart. And somehow along the way, you decided, okay, you know, that's, I, I know I, God wanted me to do this, but life came in the way, something came in the way, and all of a sudden you found yourself settling for something less than God's best for you. My encouragement to you today, if that's you, renew your covenant, renew your commitment. Let's go on to Canaan. Don't stop short of what God's best is for you because God is waiting for you on that journey. He wants to take you all the way. He's not satisfied with you just stopping in Haran partway. God wants you to go all the way with him because he went all the way for you. Amen? So if there's something more that you know that God has been speaking to you about, maybe it's time for you today to say, Lord, I recommit myself. I'm going again. I'm going again. God is waiting. He's patient. So if there's something more, or maybe, as I said before, there, we talked about the, the different uh, the meetings that's coming up shortly for those who want to get involved in serving the house of the Lord. Maybe for you, you've been coming along to CLM for a while, and maybe you've just not got involved in any kind of service or ministry. But maybe the Lord is saying to you, it's not just enough for you to get to the door of salvation and say, Lord, I give you my life, and stop short of then going the rest of the way. Being born again is just the start of your journey. There's so much more to God than just being born again. Amen? Amen. So let me encourage you. Please, don't be shy. Let's go again. Genesis 12, 1, the Lord God said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. The New King James Version translates this phrase, this word, go, as get out. Can you hear the urgency in those words? I believe that what God is asking us to do in this season will require a sense of urgency. God is not just saying, come, come. What, do you want to come? I'm inviting you to come into, into a relationship with me. I'm inviting you to come. And we can use that, that picture of Abraham responding to God's call as a response to salvation. Come, but the, the word go, the word go and leave is not a, it's a urgency. There's a sense of 
urgency in it. It's get out. It's important that you leave now. The, the message of salvation, the message of Jesus' love for you, and the message of the cross is an urgent message. It's not a casual one that we are trying to communicate to you. We genuinely believe that Jesus died for the world. And his salvation message is for everyone, and it's an urgent message. That's why, as a church, we're trying to encourage us to go out there and to be witnesses for him and to tell the world as much as we can about Jesus Christ, because it's urgent. Is it not urgent? There's an urgency that we have to be willing to be witnesses and say to people, come on, there is something wonderful waiting for you, and that something is Jesus Christ. Amen? So there's an urgency that, of coming out. So in order for us to truly, uh, to, 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 uh, in order to discover what tr- truly means to be a follower of God, there are three things I want to highlight in, in, in Abraham's journey. Um, the first of those is, in order for us to discover what it truly means to be a follower of God, we have to believe. We have to believe him. Genesis 12, 4, first part of that says, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Beliefs originate from what we hear and keep on hearing from others. Ever since we were children and even before that, the sources of beliefs include environments, events, knowledge, past experiences, visualizations, um, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm going to show you a little picture of an iceberg that describes and gives an image of what, how beliefs are formed. So here is an image of an iceberg, and you see lower down in the base of the iceberg is, a, is where your beliefs are. It's, the, it's the really the stuff that you don't see. Yeah? You see the activity, the behavior above the, of the waterline, but we know that where iceberg is concerned, what you're seeing is just the tip of the iceberg. The thing that you're seeing at the, the top of the iceberg is not the entirety of the iceberg. The Titanic will be a witness to that. Yeah? The reality is that the, the iceberg can go down very deep. And at the base of the iceberg yeah, is really where our belief systems are formed. Yeah? And our belief systems are formed and impacts our feelings, our emotions, and then results in our activity or our behavior. So what you're seeing about my behavior comes out of my belief system. That makes sense? So our beliefs are deep. Now, um, um, my Gandhi said these words, I'm quoting from him, he says, your beliefs become your thoughts, your thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, your actions become your habits, your habits become your values, and your values become your destiny. Can you see that? You may have seen that before. Your beliefs become your thoughts, your thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, your actions become your habits, your habits become your values, and your values become your destiny. So your destiny, your destination begins with what you believe. That's why it's so important and imperative that the things that we believe are true are actually true. Did you hear that? Do I just say that again? It's important if the belief forms my destination and informs my destination, it's important that the things that I'm believing are true or are actually true. Because I could be believing something to be true that's not true, which has taken me on a destination or a journey that lands me somewhere that God doesn't want me to go to. So, what is truth? This is the question that Pontius Pilate put to Jesus when Jesus was witnessing to, to him about the truth that 
um, Pontius Pilate says, what is truth? Now, the dictionary defines the word truth as a true or actual state of a matter, conformity with fact or reality, a verified or indisputable fact, proposition, principle, or the like. Now, in our world, there is a, an argument about truth. That question of what is truth is interesting because he, Pilate is really expressing what we know today as relative truth. Relativism. I'll explain that in a moment. Absolute truth is the belief that there are, that there are things that are always true at all times, regardless of things that, like culture, time, period, etc. Relative truth is the complete opposite of that, believing that things are only true for individuals or at most for large groups of people in a certain setting. In other words, we can't know the truth because there's no such thing. There are personal beliefs. What, what, but what's true for me may not be true for you. Have you heard that before? And the reason we can't know what is true uh, is that there's no higher authority that can confirm which, is, which of us is right. We may have strong reasons to believe what we believe, and one may even be more plausible than the other, but we lack any way of determining which belief is true. And this is because when you take God out of the picture as the sovereign one, as the one who is true, then you're left to determine truth for yourself. If there is no God, then my version of truth is truth. And what's true for me may not be true for you. So it's okay that you believe in God. It's okay that you believe in Jesus. But I don't believe in all of that stuff because I don't believe it to be true. Because that's, that's relative truth. That's saying that I have a truth that I believe in and you have a truth that you believe in. I'm, I won't get in your way. Don't get in my way. But in the Hebrew, the word for true, amen, yeah, that word um, means the following. It means um, reality that is firm and stable and binding. In other words, it's about conduct, not cognition. Did you hear me? It's about conduct and not cognition. Emma is the description of reliability, trustworthiness, stability, and faithfulness. It is not a statement of faith or a creedal declaration. It is what I stand on. It is the stuff beneath the way of, of life, the bottom line, what I count on. It's my foundation. It's what I can't give up if I'm going to survive. That is what the Bible talks about when it talks about truth. It is not something that is uh, an idea in my mind. It's a foundation in which I live on. Does that make any sense? Yeah? So the, the truth is, according to the scriptures, truth is a person. Say that with me. Okay, say it like you really mean it, like you want to be with me today. Say, truth is a person. Truth is a person. And in John 14, verse 6, we read, Jesus answered, I am the way, the and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But Jesus is the truth. He is the firm foundation. He is that solid rock in which you build your life on. He is the reliable source of all truth. You have to stand on him. Is that making any sense to anybody today? Yeah, truth is a person. And in John 8, 31 to 32, he says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Did you hear that, church? The words translated hold to in the Greek is the word meno, 
And a word that means to remain, abide, not to not depart, not to leave, to continue to be present, to, be, to persevere of him who cleaves whole fast to a thing. In other words, Jesus is saying here in John 8, 31 to 32, if we remain in, abide in, not depart from, not leave, continue in, persevere in his teachings, then we are his disciples. Sorry, did I? Did I lose everybody? All right. All right. Let me go again. Jesus said, if we remain in him, abide in, not depart from, not leave, continue in, persevere in his teachings, then are we his disciples. And then we will know the truth, and the truth that we come to know makes us free from the lies that we have been told about ourselves and the lies that we have believed all our lives. We've got some work to do. We've got some work to do. We've got to build our lives on the foundation of truth, and that truth is a person, and that truth is the teachings of that person. And if we hold to those truths, the Word of God says, that's when we will know what truth really is, and that truth will set us free from all the deception that we've believed all our lives. Amen? Good. Because... What we believe is so crucial to how we live and how we grow in God. Jesus gave us two essential gifts to help us. John, when Jesus was praying for the church, just before he was uh, going to leave the earthly ministry and be crucified, he prayed in John 17. Uh, and in John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them, speaking to the Father, he said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. What did he say? Sanctify them by the truth. Your Okay, and, and you, know, you know what I'm like, right? I, I need you to interact with me a little bit more. I'm from the West Indies, okay? I am not an English, you know, br brought up in an Anglican environment, not to say anything about Anglicans, love them, they love them, love them. But <laughs> I, need, I need some interaction. I need you guys to interact with me. So when I, uh, I, I, you need to say a few amens, a few hallelujahs, a throw some things out there so I know you're alive, okay? Is that all right? Amen. Thank you, thank you. So sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen? Amen? Great. Thank you. Okay, John 15, 26, he says, When the advocate comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So not only does he give us his word, which is truth, his teachings, but he also gives us the spirit. He gifts us the spirit. A gift is not a reward. He gives us his word and he gives us the spirit because he knows that we're going to need the truth. Amen. Amen. There you go. It's my church. Yeah. Men need to know what is true that they may know that they may do what, that which is right. Men need to know what is true that they may do that which is right. Abraham believed God. He believed God. He believed what God had told him was that what God had told him was true. He believed that the words of God were reliable, trustworthy, stable, faithful. Abraham had faith. The Hebrew word for faith is emuna, okay? Emuna. But it also sometimes is translated in our Bibles as faith, faithfulness. And yet it, it describes much more than just believing a statement about God. It reveals a life of full reliance upon him. A muna is faith that results in faithful, faithfulness. 
implying action. Faith doesn't just happen in your head, it happens in your entire body. It just doesn't happen in your head. It's not a cerebral idea. It's something that you can see physically. I can see what you believe. I just need to watch you for a few minutes. Jesus said, by your, their fruit, you will know them. Not by their words. People can tell you all kinds of things. I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. But then you watch them and you think, hmm, not quite sure about that. Because the words do not come, correspond to their actions. Are you with me today? Throughout the Bible, the idea of faith is like a staircase. You may intellectually know that the stairs are, um, go up to the next level, but until you climb the stairs, you won't actually experience the next level. You can't just believe in the stairs and settle for knowing the stairs are there. You have to climb the stairs. According to the biblical definition of faith, what you do is more important than what you know. Point two, in order to discover what it truly means to be a follower of God, we have to behold him. We have to behold him. Genesis 17:1 says these words, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Now, there was 13 years that passed between the end of chapter 16 when Abraham was 86 old and beginning of chapter 17. Chapter 16 ended with the birth of Ishmael which is uh, the, the son of the, the, the handmaiden that he had, yeah, slept with, okay? And now he is 99, so he had been in, the, in Canaan 24 years. And he said, the Lord appeared to Abraham. The, Lord, the word appeared there is a Hebrew word that means to see, or particularly to physically see with the eyes. Perhaps a better translation would be, Abraham saw with his own eyes the Lord, Okay? Now, this is important for this reason. This is why I'm, I'm, I'm on this point. Abraham grew up in a um, polytheistic society. Polytheism is the wor worship of many gods. It comes from the word poly, meaning many, and theism, where we get the word God. In other words, in, in the world of the Bible, that was the wor world that the Bible was written, polytheism was the rule. Polytheism is based upon the idea that the universe is governed by more than one force. Therefore, there must be there may be a water god, a mountain god, a desert god, etc., etc. Each of these gods must be appeased. Therefore, these different forces receive some type of worship. That was the cultural environment that Abraham grew up in, where he lived in Ur. Yeah? Um, culture simply is, means the way we see and do things. Culture, culture is a set of shared meanings or the ways people agree to be in order to respond to a new and familiar set of situations. Culture becomes the filter through which people interpret reality and perceive their future. And that's the environment that Abraham grew up in. In fact, the uh, Jewish sages says that of Terah, his father, that he was actually, he did, what he did for a living was make idols. So his dad made idols for a living and sold them. And that's what the environment that Abraham grew up in. So he grew up in a polytheistic society where there were many gods that were worshipped. God of this, God of air, God of water, God of sand, God of cheeseburger, all kind of God, right? And his dad made these gods for a living. Made these gods and sold them to the, all the, the, the people that desire to have these little mini gods in their house. So he grew up in that environment. 
He grew up in that environment where there were many gods. Okay, so what is idolatry in, in essence? Idolatry is image worship or divine honor paid to a created object. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give to you what only God can give. Did you hear what I said? It is a thing loved or the person that competes for the place of your heart's greatest treasure more than God. Enjoyed more than God. It could be a girlfriend. It could be good grades. It could be the approval of other people. It could be success in business. It could be the latest car or that dream house. It could be sexual stimulation. It could be a hobby or a musical group or artist that you follow or your favorite sports personality or team. It could be the pursuit of the physical, perfect physical physique like mine. It could be. <laughs> Why are you laughing? It could, it could even be church or worship of worship. Any of the, these things that I listed could be idols. Because you begin to love those things more than you love God, all of a sudden you switch chairs. And now that thing becomes the more important thing, the thing that is occupying space in your heart that belongs only to your father. Now, an idolater can also be an ideologue. Hedonism, for example, the pursuit of personal pleasure coupled with the belief that happiness is the key to life found in sensual self-indulgence, eat, drink, and be merry. The highest good is feeling great. Or maybe it's cynicism, a worldview that sees self-interest as the only true basis for personal motivation, questioning the value of doing any act other than those that contribute to personal gain. The highest good is taking care of me first. Or maybe it's stoicism. Stoicism is the ancient Greek philosophy that virtue is found in knowledge alone and that hardship and pain are inevitable tests of one's resolve to accept life as it is without complaint. Stoicism becomes the excuse that things can't be changed, that fate has cast their lot and those who suffer somehow deserve it. Stuff happens. Any of those ideologies are incorrect. And if we believe them to be true, then those things have become idols in our lives. Whether it be a passion for something or whether it be an idea that we have about life, anything that replaces God becomes an idol in our lives. And so the environment that Abraham grew up in was an environment filled with idols. That was his worldview at the time that God called him. And God called him out of that space and said, get out of there. Get out of there, man. Now we can understand why it was so urgent. Because he's got all of these images that say they're God, but weren't God. And so if you're looking constantly at those things, God says, I gotta get you out of there. And then the scripture says, the Lord appeared to him. God is saying, if you want to know what God looks like, here I am. He wanted to com completely erase all those ideas of God and what he saw as God growing up. And even the idols that his father made. He wanted to say, man, the, all those ideas that was passed down to you by your parents about what God is or what you think you should pursue. Those are not the things that I want you to look for. I need you to come out of there. I need you to get out from what you, your influences and your upbringing and your culture 
and whatever it is that you thought were correct. And I'm bringing you into a new space where I can be your single most focus. And when I, when you, and I get you alone with me, I'm going to show you who I am. This is who I am. I am God Almighty, says in our Bible. It's, just a, it's a poor translation because the word is El Shaddai. And El Shaddai in Hebrew, it means the many-breasted one or the, the one who nourishes and supplies all of your needs. He says that you don't need all of those gods, the God of air, the God of money, the God of this, the God of that. You just need me. I am El Shaddai. Whatever you need, I can be whatever you need at the time that you need me to be it. If you need healing, I'll be that healer for you. If you need deliverance, I'll be your deliverer. If you need salvation, I'll be your savior. You just need one God, the only God, and that's me, El Shaddai. Let me introduce myself to you. Hey, all those other gods that you served, all the other gods that you saw back when you grew up in your old time, those were not gods, but I am El Shaddai. You've got to get a vision. So the question that Jesus asked his disciples, if you remember, when he was at Matthew 16, he says, I'm, I'm Jesus. tell me, uh, who do men say that I am? And they went on to say, some said that you're this prophet, some said that you're, you're, you're this and this person and that person. Then he said, okay, cool, that's nice. What about you? Who do you say that I am? Do you see me? Do you know the real God? Have you got a revelation? And Peter piped up and says, uh, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus said, well done, my son. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father in heaven revealed to you that I am just who you say I am. I am the Messiah. Amen? Amen. We all need a fresh revelation of Jesus. Maybe our idea of Jesus, our picture of Jesus is not quite right. Maybe you think oh, Jesus can do this much, but not that much. Maybe Jesus is good for maybe uh, healing, but he can't really provide. Maybe Jesus is good for one thing over here, but he's not good for another thing. And Jesus wants us to know that we need to get a fresh revelation of who he is, that he is the great sustainer of our lives and provider for our lives. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He is the supplier of all of our needs. Come on now. We, we need to see Jesus. Do you see Jesus? That is what, why it was important for God to reveal himself to Abram. Abraham needed to get the perfect picture, the true picture of the God who satisfied and nourishes the needs of everyone. Philippians says, Philippians 4, 19 says, and my God will meet your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Is that what he says? No, he doesn't say that. He says, my God will meet, important word, all your needs. All your needs. Because if he just met needs, then there might be other needs that you have to go somewhere else to find. But God says, no, I, I, I'm good. What's your need? I got it. I got you. I can meet that. Are you with me? Come on, don't lose, don't, don't lose me. I don't want to lose you. I need you, to, I need you to stay with me, okay? Is that all right? Okay, so, in, so that's my second point. My final point is this. In order to discover what it truly means to be a follower of God, we have to 
become like him. We talked about become, believe in him, behold in him, and now we need to become like him. Genesis 17:1, Abraham was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. The word walk there in the Hebrew is a word that really speaks about walking regularly in relationship or companionship with someone else. Yeah? This is what it means. God is inviting him into a relationship. God is inviting him to a relationship. I'm going to ask the band to come up. God is inviting him into a relationship. He says, it's not enough for you to, um, to believe in me. It's not enough for you to believe in me or just see me. I need you to walk with me. There is a depth of revelation that we need to have. It's with God. Because what's it, what's it, what, why is this important for God? Because if we satisfy ourselves with just being Sunday worshipers, we can come and do our spiritual thing on a Sunday. And then that, that's it. We've done our tick box for the, for the week. We've, we've plugged in and we, we have God. And we've done that spiritual thing and I'm good. I, I've, I've, I've believed him. Uh, you know, I've seen him, and, but, you know, I, I've got stuff doing. So I've got my, my two-hour window on a Sunday, and I've plugged into him, and I'm good. But this dimension of beholding him, of becoming, is saying, I need you to walk with me. I, need the, I don't just need you to come and visit me on a Sunday. I need you to walk with me every day. This is, this is a relationship. This is not religion. This is a relationship that God wants us to have with him. That we need to be in constant walking relationship with him. I told you about the journey that Abraham had from Ur to just the Haran. It was over 641 miles. And in that journey, God was walking with him. God was journeying with him. And he was getting to know God and God was getting to know him. And the two of them were in fellowship and communion together every day. And God is inviting us into that kind of relationship. Why is it important that we walk with God? Because whatever you behold, you become. And every day, you know what it is when you, when you get married to someone, all of a sudden you find that the, the, the kind of habits and expressions and nuances of that individual, you start to pick up yourself. If you're, those of you who are married, you know, like you start to say things like your, like your partner says and you start to do things like they do. Yeah, and all of a sudden people can't distinguish. You start to wear the same clothes. People are like, what's going on over there? I mean, yeah, because now you're becoming like the person that you're spending time with. Your interactions with that person, your connection with that person means that you're now morphing almost. And God has said, that actually, in marriage, what's happening is that the two become one. And so the Lord is inviting us into that kind of intimate relationship and saying, I need you to not just believe me, or behold me, but I need you to become like me. And that comes through that process of belief, that process of beholding and keeping your eye on him. But it also comes in us getting to that place that now we can become like him. We can become like him and begin to express the same realities of what it means to be God. Now, I'm coming down i got lots more I can say to you this morning, but I just want to end with this idea. The Word of God tells us that when he, we gave our lives to Him, 
We became new creation in God. The old is gone and the new is here. That we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into light. God is calling us to accept our new identity. That you are not the person you used to be back in the day when you were back in the day. Remember that person back in the day? You're not that person now. The old has gone, the new has come. You are becoming like the sun. He's transforming you from the inside out. And you don't even sound like you used to sound. I know I don't sound like the person. I know I am not the person I used to be. If you ever met me before, you would be like, no, I don't want to be with that guy. I was not a cool, cool guy to be around. Believe it. And that's hard to believe, right? But that's it. But who I was before Jesus is not who I was after Jesus. Jesus transforms us and we become like him. That's the ultimate goal, to move from belief to beholding, from beholding to becoming. How many of you are ready to make that decision today? If you have never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, I want everyone to close their eyes in a minute. If you've never decided to believe him, you might be in the room, you might be here for the first time, you might have been here last week and made a commitment or just was curious about him. But I want to invite you, if you are here and you've heard these words and you think, actually, I need to go on that journey, that journey of faith, I need to believe and start my journey with God, then I'm going to ask you to just quietly slip your hands up. I will see your hand, and then I'm going to say to you to put the hand back down, and we'll pray for you. But if you're here, and the sound of my voice is the first time you're here, or maybe you're watching from home, and you're, this is the first time you're tuning in to our services, but if you want to go on that same journey that Abraham went on, and you want to believe God and give your life to him, I want you to quickly just slip your hand up real quick right now. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, I see that hand. You can put your hand back down. So those of you in the room and those of you are watching at home, it's an invitation and you've accepted the invitation today to, to believe in him. And so I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer after me. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone to pray this prayer out loud with me this morning and join those who are praying it for the first time. Say, Father in heaven. Okay, as loud as we can. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross, the sacrifice that was made for me. No greater love has anyone displayed than the love that God displayed by giving his life for me on Calvary. So I accept your sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Come into my life today. Be my Lord and Savior. And I believe you. And I will follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 